All right, Lily. Yes. What do you call a chameleon that can't change colors? I don't know what. A reptile dysfunction. <laughs> Roll intro. <laughs> Roll intro. <laughs> This is Throwing Down with Jess and Lily. That makes no sense. You can be funny and not be offensive. The same way this is your workspace, this is my workspace. It's never just sports. It's never just sports. It's never just sports. You'll be a little smarter, and we'll be a little smarter, and it will be great. I was close to being right. You know what's interesting? If you don't agree with this, then just turn us off. Turn us off. Ooh, all right, on that note. We're Throwing Down. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Throwing Down with Jess and Lily. I'm Lily Caffrey-Levine. I'm Jess King. And welcome to the Throwing Down NBA Draft Show. Um, in a little bit, we're going to have Sam DiGiovanni on, um, talking all things NBA Draft, NBA Free Agency, um, what I like to call the Jess and Sam Knicks Pity Party. Um, but <laughs> before we get into all of that, we have a lot going on in terms of baseball, and we have some positive baseball things to talk about for the first time in a while, being that Kim Ang was named the GM of the Miami Marlins, uh, becoming the first woman, the first um, Asian American to be a Major League Baseball GM. And last week, we talked about Kamala Harris becoming the first uh, female vice president, the first. Um, and so if I get to open the show every week, talking about another woman that like shattered the glass ceiling then I will be very happy and like they're listening to us Lily like when we say do better they might actually do better better. I'm like so proud of you guys (laughs) I know so um this week was it was huge um with the announcement of Kim Ang becoming the GM of the Miami Marlins um she is probably the most overqualified person um to, to get a job that she deserves <laughs> a job that for she deserves so this obviously comes while great news it comes with um definitely some need for discussion about why it took so long for her to get this job basically a little background kim ang started she was an intern with the white Sox, um and upon graduation from college she became a special projects analyst um before she was promoted to the assistant director of baseball operations um in 1995 um, in 95, she was the youngest person, first woman, to present a salary arbitration case in MLB, um, and this was, again, for the White Sox. So she was the White Sox um, assistant director of operations. Then she, when she was 29, she became the youngest assistant GM in the major leagues um, and uh, one of only four women to have held the position for when she became the assistant GM for the Yankees. Um, she was the vice president and assistant GM of the Dodgers from 2002 to 2011. Um, she, after, in, during that time, she interviewed for GM positions with the Mariners, the Padres, the Angels, and the San Francisco Giants. Um, and obviously she did not get any of those positions, even though she had worked as an assistant GM for two teams uh, for several, several years. Um, so she ended up leaving the Dodgers in 2011 to become the senior vice president of baseball operations for Major League Baseball. Um, She's won three World Series, and now she's the GM for the Marlins. Um, And again, that just took me way too long to, like, read off those qualifications from the list I typed out. Um, But this obviously brings up a lot of discussion of why didn't she get any of the jobs she interviewed for prior to that, because we have had far less qualified people become GMs 
Sorry, Mets. Sorry, Mets. <laughs> I think um, laughing at me. <laughs> it's sorry. actually super like crazy though, the way you just listed off all of her qualifications and like what you just said. Um, I was reading articles about the hiring when the news broke and she was saying that she really believed for a second that a lot of the jobs like this, that she was these higher up executive positions in baseball that she was interviewing for were really just like PR stunts to show that, hey, we are considering a large diverse candidate pool. Mm -hmm. And us bringing Kim in to interview her shows that, but she never really thought that it was gonna be serious, which goes to our discussion of like, somebody who has such a outstanding resume really believing that they wouldn't be fit for the job strictly because of their gender or their nationality. Um, and I mean, yeah. she finally broke that barrier for all of us to look up at the TV and say that I can do this job too. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the thing is, is that like women didn't, no one woke up the other day and suddenly women were qualified to be general managers of baseball teams. That's, that's not what happened. Women have been overqualified to be GMs of baseball teams for years and have never been given the opportunity. This isn't a preparedness issue. This isn't a not having enough candidates in the pool issue. This is an issue of, are you taking, putting in the time and the effort and just having the, the good sense to interview a diverse candidate pool? And the fact of the matter is often facts, no one does. And when we see how vastly over overqualified Aang is and how long it took her to get where she is, forces up to forces us to stop and think about how many women women out there are overqualified for jobs they've been passed up on time and time again. Kim Aang is the success story of putting in her work and like despite all of the the things that are stacked against her, sticking with it and eventually getting to that point in her career. But um, we also have to acknowledge that there are so many women that get passed up, um, not even passed up for the jobs, passed up for the interviews, passed up for the opportunities, aren't considered for them. When positions like this come up, it's just the fact of the matter is women don't get interviewed for these positions. Women don't get considered for these positions. Like Jess just said, she pointed out that in the past when she had interviewed, it felt like a PR stunt saying we're inter interviewing a, a woman. And that's just not how this can fly. It's just not. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in all of the celebration that everyone is doing for Kim Ang, which I am too, and it is very much so deserved, we don't just get the celebratory nature out of it and then move on from it. Like this should be the norm. It shouldn't be something that we're celebrating because women are overqualified for jobs they don't get. So while it's super exciting and definitely cause for celebration, it forces us to look in the mirror and say like, why is this such a big deal? Because this hasn't happened before. And the fact that it hasn't happened before is the part that's really messed and up. She's and she's been in the business since 1995. Like that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like 25 years, you know, for someone to work their ass off. And all she's the time. won three world series. Like this is, this is like, it's just the, it's the kind of thing where a woman shouldn't have to be overqualified for her to right. get. The and a lot of the time I remember. Like, again, somebody sorry, sorry, Mets, men who are far underqualified get these jobs all the time yeah yell at them i mean i'm not yell done at yelling them. At, them. Them out. at them i mean somebody um, once told me when i was like applying for jobs that a lot of the time women look at um qualifications on their job descriptions and say that there's five qualifications qualifications that you need to have and if women don't see themselves as having all five they'd actually even be like 
less inclined to apply for the job, even if they hit four out of the five of them, just because they feel like they have to go above and beyond to compensate for the fact that they're a woman applying for yeah. You feel like uh, the cards are man's job or whatever. Into it. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, round of applause for Kim Yang. So then I also yeah. want to just like bring up the Major League Baseball, the Marlins, other teams are obviously doing a lot to celebrate this. Again, as they should. This deserves a lot of a huge round of applause, and this is awesome for Kim Ang. That's awesome. But I'm also going to need to see a real commitment to supporting women in sports in hiring more women, taking domestic violence accusations seriously when um, they're put upon players, um, making sure that when there's sexual harassment of reporters in locker rooms or of anybody, things like that are taken seriously. If you're going to celebrate the woman, which you should, make sure you're sticking with that message in that we support women, but follow through on that. Don't just say it because hiring one woman and having this huge thing about it isn't the long term of supporting women. That's a definite awesome step in the right direction. But then when you don't, when there's no consequences for players that have been charged with or convicted of or accused of sexual assault or domestic violence, that's not supporting women. So if this is like, if you're going to use the message of we support women, you have to stick with that all the way, even when it's not pretty. And a lot of times it's not, but I don't want any of that to take away from how awesome this is for Kim Ang. I can't wait for the Marlins to win like the next eight world series. Yeah. Um, and all I'm saying is I don't want to wait another 25 years to see a woman finally get appointed to exactly. another higher position in exactly. baseball or any sport. Yeah. I don't want any of this to take away from the round of applause that Kim Ang deserves, but we also just have to make sure that we're not just resting on our laurels after we're done celebrating this, that we're sticking with this commitment yeah. we're making to support women more. And, and we don't mean just interviewing them, like actually hiring hire them, them. The smart decision. When they're the most qualified person in the room, give them the job. <laughs> like, like, it's okay. Yeah, which for a long time, Kim Ang was the most qualified person in the room not getting the job. Um, and freaking, like, I don't know how she does it. She's awesome. She's, like, honestly one of my new role models. Um, and she carries herself with this awesome, like, badass grace. Um, everything she said since um, her hiring, I've just been like, wow, you are it's so It's just cool. been so brutally honest about the state of women yeah. in sports and employing women in sports um, that it was like actually really nice to hear. Which I think is also, I, that feels really important too. Like she, she knew that she was being discriminated mm -hmm. against in her career for most of her career. Like, yeah until she finally got the break that she was well deserving of so mm -hmm. so i think like in summation of it all freaking props to kim ang props to the marlins for making the right choice but also remember to keep doing better we're doing well but keep that up let's keep let's keep that, that up keep doing um, and congrats to kim ang that's super 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 fantastic Starting off with the NBA, the thrown down NBA draft show, we're joined by Sam DiGiovanni, hoops habit writer, center field writer, Knicks wall writer. He knows everything about basketball. Um, so we brought him here. So, all right, the draft is tonight, as this is on the internet. Um, okay, so Sam, what are you thinking the first couple picks are going to look like? I think this year, having not had college basketball follow through towards the end of the season. 
Um, things feel a little bit more up in the air than they have before, where I feel like the past couple drafts, we've all gone into it knowing who the first five picks are. Um, but I feel like now there's a little bit more room for variation. I think even with college basketball, if it did follow through to March Madness and the draft process looked the same as it did, mm -hmm. it still would probably be the less certain there's been of a top pick since maybe 2013. Like, it's not just the craziness of this year and the different draft um, process. It's just this draft class. So I think LaMelo Ball is probably the biggest name, maybe not in terms of skill, but at least in terms of name recognition. I think he still will probably go top three with probably Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman. I'm not sure which order in particularly, but I think there's also a high probability of teams trading out of the top three or even the top five. Like there's just so much like craziness around this draft just because the, the certainty of the top prospects is pretty bad um, just generally. So if Minnesota keeps number one, I would guess they go Anthony Edwards. I don't understand James Wiseman to the Warriors because they've built their entire dynasty on not having big men or just having a big man by committee that does the basic stuff, which Wiseman can do, but if you draft him, you're asking him to do more than that eventually. So I might see someone like Danny Avdia or maybe even Lamelo get another playmaker, another like kind of wing player. And then Charlotte is kind of in need of a big man and Wiseman step, uh, stands out there, but also Onyeko Kongwu from USC. So it's really tough to say, like there are so many different reports going around it's, it'll be interesting regardless, and I think it's probably even more interesting. Like, obviously, having a prospect like Zion, everyone is going crazy for it, even though like, they know he's going number one. But just the, the uncertainty this year is really making me excited for tonight. Yeah, it's definitely going to be – I mean, the first, this, the, last, the first 48 hours of free agency in themselves have been like, insane. Have been insane. <laughs> so I just don't see, like, any way that the draft also isn't insane, the same, especially, like you mentioned, it's – kind of the most uncertain draft since 2013 um and I think kind of like I don't want to say like the more fun parts of it but like with not having a Zion there is just like a little bit more there's like a lot more you have to look into and like you, you said look at skill more than anything yeah. you have to read more scouting reports you have to actually look at what these players are doing like it I mean, feels yeah, it feels more this year like it's about what teams need, not who's the best player. Right. That's true. It is fun to welcome someone like Zion to the league. Like, yeah. that was the hype of it last year. And I even remember, like, I was there. I went, uh, me and my friend took a trip there. And, like, it was, like, all the hype just knowing, like, this guy's officially joining the NBA, even mm -hmm. though it's not necessarily, like, where will he actually go? Like, everyone knew it was going to be New Orleans, but like you guys said. And especially this year, the, the players rising and falling in draft stocks is really interesting because the – workouts have looked like they never have before yeah so it will be really interesting so i gotta ask you sam what do you think our knicks are gonna do with the eighth pick oh man this I is what i like to call i was gonna wear my knicks sweatshirt too this and i figured me. you would wear one and then i thought okay sam can take the butt end of the jokes for this episode this is I like them all the oh time. yes i can yep you i'm excited to see what sam has to say about this because i feel like jess has given up on the 2021 season already. Um, yeah. And, uh, somebody, um, I was reading something on some like 
like random thing that just popped up on like my Twitter, like a, a total like rumor starter about like Chris Paul going to the Knicks. And I was like, I don't even want to see this like on my timeline the right Knicks, now. It was, like, the Knicks came up a few times like last night in, in just conversation, nothing serious. And it's, but that's always what it is. It's always, yeah, no one's oh, ever what serious. <laughs> Never. It's all just a joke. So yeah. what are we going to do with our eighth, eighth pick? pick? With the eighth pick, I am praying to God that Killian Hayes falls. He is, in my opinion, and many other people's opinions, the best prospect in the draft. He has uh, not eye-popping numbers, but when you watch him, you are reminded of like some of the best scores in the league in terms of his footwork and his coordination. It's just so impressive how at such a young age he can already he already looks like a mature scorer who's been in the league for a while he's got really nice playmaking and defensive skills too so I'm really hoping for that I've seen rumors of Obi Toppin who had a great season at Dayton I don't think for his age and how just absurdly bad he is at defense he would be the right pick at eight if Hayes isn't there I would not mind a trade down and it's been reported it was reported I think a month ago that Leon Rose is interested in doing that. So trading down for someone, um, I think for their first pick, like they should just take whoever they think is the best player available, even yeah. if they think it's a center. Like they just they need the most. Do you think that Obi Toppin though would stay and go stay in Ohio and go with the Cavs? They have like the fifth. They have the fifth. Player. I can see. Yeah, the the Cavs for some reason just don't care about defense. The last two high picks they've taken <laughs> just are small guards that can't defend and like. Yeah, I'm hoping Obi. They save us from drafting Obi Toppin. They can right they because can then if he's left, it's like, how are you not going to take? Him? It is. Yeah, that's just so what the Knicks do. Well, like, and no, because that's what I'm saying. I'm like all of these players, Sam. You're mentioning. I'm just like, I can just. I'm like sitting here being like, I can just see them passing though, mm-hmm. and them going like ninth or tenth or eleventh. And I'm, I don't know how you guys do it. I don't either. Thanks, Lily. <laughs> Sorry, that's so inspiring. Um, I do have a more. Um, Technical question for you, though, Sam. Okay. So let's just say that the f- top five people that are in the uh, players in this draft would go like LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Obi Toppin, James Winston, uh, Denny. I'm totally going to butcher his last name. Denny A. We know who you're talking about. He only has Right. A- so <laughs> let's take those guys and however other many people you can put into it. Who do you think out of like the guys that are going to go in the top end of this draft into the NBA, um, who has the worst like flaws and like the best skill set that makes up them? Because like, like Lily said it before, and I think the exact same way as her, that this draft is not about really um, picking people who are going to go great for your marketing team and have a great name because we really did ditch out our March Madness and the chance to, to see them shine. Um, and it's more about what teams want. And a lot of the, what I've been reading is like, yes, these players are good and they have great qualities, but like if somebody's a really good scorer, they're not really great on defense. And, you know, if they're good at decision-making and have great court awareness, they're throwing freaking bricks at the net, you know? So what do you think, who is the highest at-risk player um, for what they could get from it? Well, I think in terms of, like, the riskiness, like I said, Obi, for someone who's so old and has such, like, a mature game offensively, the how bad he is defensively is so scary. And at, I think he's already 22, and I'm afraid that he isn't just going to have the time to develop. Like, coming in as a bad defender, like, an awful defender is scary. Like, there have been guys in college who were, like, pretty solid at defense and have come into the NBA and have been terrible. So that's why I'm really scared of Obi. But I think 
in terms of skills that can make up for deficiencies elsewhere, I think that's what makes the mellow ball so interesting. Like his playmaking is absurd. The passes that he throws, like there, he has a lot of bad decisions to make sometimes, but just the confidence that he has and the creativity he shows is amazing. And he definitely has um, shot selection issues. Defense is not a big strong suit for him, even though he's kind of built to do it as like a very big guard. I think that like, Lamelo's like IQ makes up for so many other like deficiencies he has in his game, and I think with other players like that aren't as certain to be like a huge um, that aren't certain to be an All Star. That's why Lamelo is probably among the top prospects in this draft. That's like I mean Kevin O'Connor on the Ringer in his like kind of drafting said it. I think he said he passes like he's on the Harlem Globetrotters and he makes it work, which I think was yeah. like such a really interesting and cool he really way. Does of yeah. describing that, which is also something that like thinking kind of long-term about it, that's something like having that kind of like playmaking skill, I think is something that does you really good in the long run. And that's why he could be like this franchise player for a team in how, what, whatever way it works out. And that like having that IQ when you're so young, I feel like is a really good sign of things to come in that like you could improve upon other things. IQ, it's obviously something you can learn, but I think sometimes it's one of those things you might have it and you might not. Um, and players make up for not having it by being huge. Um, but mm -hmm. if he's coming into the NBA already having that under his belt and having it kind of like very few other, others do, that's something that like that's going to serve whatever team he plays for for a very long time to come. If yep. they do it right. I mean, I don't know. Someone could probably fuck it up. Um, and like throw them on, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's why I see him going to the Warriors though, just cause I mean, from his like <clears throat> lacking ability to shoot a good basketball where other players on the team could make up for that, but also like kind of going with their whole brand of quick decision-making basketball and like mm -hmm. smaller guy. Kind I've always of felt like the Warriors play really, really smart basketball. Like they're always running around moving yeah. so fast and you're like, <laughs> how did you even Yeah, for that? sure. That's why LaMelo works so well with them. Like yeah. to have another playmaker, like they already have Steph and Draymond who are really good, but to add LaMelo to that mix as well would make them so, so potent offensively. And that's one of the big reasons I wanted for the Knicks is because they've lacked for so long a good decision maker like that. And even though the rest of the Knicks roster is, you know, questionable at best to god awful. I'm so like that you said worst. Yeah. Like just having someone that's smart to make the right pass, I think would be huge for the Knicks. And he's young, so he would like want to run. And with the athletes the Knicks have, I think that would make them more tolerable. Maybe not better. Yeah. At least not immediately, but at least tolerable. <laughs> and like I can watch a Knicks game and not feel like dreadful about it. Well, so that's where, like, I'm thinking, and I, I mean, I'm just thinking very, like, simply about it, and it's going to be far more complicated than this, I think, in the end, but, like, with the number two pick, I just feel like whether Minnesota trades out of the first pick or they pick somebody else, like, if Lavelle's on the table for the Warriors, I think it's stupid to pass that up. I think they'll um, totally take him. And I think it would be stupid for the Timberwolves to take – um lamella ball so i think like that so i feel like this works i feel like we're using logic here and this works out great um but we this is the nba so it's not gonna happen um but nothing's ever that easy it's nothing's ever that easy because well i mean i don't know there's a lot of that's you don't know it's not like he, he's not zion he's not okay first picking out um but it just feels like if the warriors pass up on him 
if he's available in the second pick, it's gonna it's gonna feel really dumb. But I don't know the I don't know. I think he, he you made some really good points about him doing well in the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it also like I mean it does make sense for them to like if they want to start planning for the future mm-hmm. because their core three is already like they're already on the wrong side of thirty or getting there. He's definitely a guy that like makes sense for them. But I think if there's a like a star available to trade, they should absolutely try to use that number two pick. Like, or use it to trade down. Like, mm-hmm. if Lamelo's gone and they don't really like any of the prospects, they kind of need help with depth. And while this draft isn't very top heavy, it's probably like the least top heavy, top latest, I guess. It's been in years that it makes sense for them to get more guys because they need to get yeah. more depth. So to trade down and to get more picks in the first round. This is for the Warriors we're talking about. Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, they're, it makes more sense for the Timberwolves to want to draft someone to grow because Towns and D'Angelo Russell are young, but Steph Clay and Draymond are old. So if they can find another really good old guy, like if Bradley Beal, I think I saw a report literally hours ago that said he's not on the table, but things could change very quickly. And if maybe Washington finally decides like, okay, there's a very high draft pick and there's someone to really like, if he, if, you know, or maybe Victor Oladipo or someone like that, I think it makes perfect sense for them to target an older, more established star. And they have a really nice trade ship to do it in the number two pick, even in a weak draft. I think it's intriguing. Yeah, and then worry about the whole rebuilding process in like two or three years. Not right, really. yeah. Get the most you can out of your core three and then worry about rebuilding from scratch. That's like, that's always a stance I always really respect with teams when like, I feel like, because I feel like in recent years of like when the three of us were kind of like growing up and like learning basketball, like witnessing it, there's so many teams that are rebuilding and it never goes anywhere. Oh, yeah. The Knicks have been rebuilding for rebuilding. years. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like this – The never-ending rebuild, man. <laughs> I feel like the Celtics have been rebuilding for a really long time and have gotten better, but have never – but obviously they haven't won a championship since 2008. Um, but it's been that whole thing of like, oh, well, it's a rebuilding year. It's a rebuilding year. We have all these young players. And I'm like, all right, well, what's, what's not clicking here? Um, so I always do think, like, it's the kind of thing where it's like, no, fuck it. Live for today. Like, <laughs> forget yeah. rebuilding. Let's win this season. Yeah, for teams that are good, like the Celtics, it makes sense. For teams, yeah, Lily, bad, for like, teams that are good, like the Celtics. Don't go for Russell Westbrook. Like, yes, he'll win you games now, but those wins now are not going to taste sweet when you're doing the same thing in two years. <laughs> um, you that. just tried to relate to two Knicks fans. I'm like, I'm like I get the struggle, guys. It's been... Since 2008. I'm never going to win. No. Yeah, um, but that doesn't mean you're going to lose. Like, you guys still have something to look forward to. Jason yeah. Tatum is really good, and you have a good front office. I should, I should correct myself. We're going to win, but I'm never going to win this argument. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And I would rather lose an argument with you any day. No, that's fair. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm an yeah. asshole. I know. Um, but... Uh, guys, this could be the year. This could be the turning point. Eight for who? Draft for you. <laughs> Eight uh, in the draft. No, man, it's not. No, you guys are I so crazy. So. I want to reel back a bit and talk about one more thing that I think would be really cool for us to kind of discuss for a bit. Um, this year, we saw an increasingly large surge in a lot of NBA prospects opting to not play in college and going to play overseas. G League, baby. Uh, and G-leaguing it up. And I want to know, what do you guys think? How did that play into 
um, an NBA draft prospects stock, I guess, um, right before going into the league, already playing at a slightly higher level than college basketball in the NCAA, um, and how that kind of makes them seem more or less desirable to NBA teams. Sam, well, off. I feel like you need to like be a really amazing. Like this draft is a, an except, exception because the top prospects are so iffy. But usually I feel like you need to be like amazing. And even if you are amazing, there's still a stigma around not playing in college that can hurt a draft stock. Like Luka Doncic, in my mind, should have gone first. He was playing amazing in one of the best leagues against grown men. Like he absolutely should have gone first and he's proven it with his play. And there's no one in the draft like Luca, but I, I think I would be curious to know if like LaMelo or RJ Hampton, who are Americans who went to play in this league in Australia and New Zealand, how they would have done. I still think they, you know, they might've ended about the same draft stock wise where they are with LaMelo being one of the top guys and RJ being in like the third or fourth tier, maybe by some accounts, the second tier. Um, and it's interesting for overseas guys, too. So not just Killian Hayes, but also guys like Theo Maladon or Denny. There's I, – I just hope that, you know, people are starting to realize that there's value by playing good basketball, not just in the NCAA. Like, I feel like you have to be really, like, over the top really good in a normally good draft to be one of the top prospects. And I'm excited to see – if the G League can become like a viable alternate route. And they already got some really um, good prospects for the draft class after this one. And I hope that can continue for these kids to like get paid what they're worth and to find a different route where they don't have to, you know, sign away their rights to their image for a uh, So you're college. saying it's almost like they seem less desirable to NBA teams because they didn't play college basketball? I don't, I mean, I don't think it's that. I think it's just how you evaluate them is so different. Like I don't, I don't think any NBA GM is like, oh, my God, this kid went and didn't play college basketball. That's blasphemous. I just think it's harder to grade because, like, so many prospects, like, throughout the course of NBA history and even in recent years, even though these other routes are popping up, it's all about, like, how they evaluate a player. And it's easier to do that in college, I feel like, because teams have such a better understanding. And now there are all these other routes, like, you know, how is this, you know, you're evaluating a teenager playing in a pro league overseas you are taking someone who grew up in America and played American high school basketball, and now you're going to a professional league elsewhere. And you're having kids play in the G League, which is, you know, sort of like the minor league of the NBA. I just think it's the question about how teams go about evaluating them that is going to make it really interesting. I think that's why there's still a stigma around not going college as to why there's like sort of like a difference, a big difference in players yeah. that don't I think playing college basketball gives in gives um like teams easier access to evaluate like what you were saying just they mm -hmm. have all these games it's sometimes right in the team's backyards to go check out where they're playing they're playing all over the country whereas if you're playing overseas it's a little bit more difficult because you're seeing less coverage of them and you're less likely to see a larger pool of games and samples but also on the other end it's like you said with Luca it's like a kid playing in a grown man's league, you know, it has to go for some grit and talent that probably wouldn't have been established in college. Just kind of like, it's just, it's a man's game. It's not 18 year olds playing against 18 year olds. It's like an 18 year old playing against like a 27 year old. And that makes all the difference. I think. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, I think it's going to be, I think we're going to get some good television tonight. 
I think that's the one thing I know for sure is we're going to get some good old classic live television out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, they're doing the draft. Um, Adam Silver is going to be in Bristol, Connecticut at ESPN headquarters where they're going to be showing the draft. Um, great setup over there. So I think it's going to be some classic broadcasting skills. coming. Yeah. Out. And um, yeah. And I think like, I mean, just with free agency and everything, like after the draft, I feel like not that it's going to change a lot, but then like conversations are really going to start of like, where do teams go from here now? Like, let's do the draft. And then like, cause I think there's a lot, a lot of teams this season kind of after the weird season before have these needs to fill, obviously a lot going on, James Harden, things like that. Um, where do you guys think Harden's going? I want to ask you that. I think if he goes to the Nets, that would be a disaster. Oh, I, I don't know if I can, I don't think it'll be a disaster basketball wise. I don't think I can emotionally handle that. One, I'd be pissed. Cause like I've said on this podcast before, I hate that the Nets are stealing all of New York's thunder, like in terms of basketball. Imagine if KD and Kyrie like went to the Knicks. Like, imagine that world in which right, that'd be great. But even in that case, I still that's when that was like an actual thing. If we're talking about the Knicks and all this, I still wouldn't even want Harding to come to the Knicks then because here's what I think about it. And I saw a tweet that confirmed all of my suspicions about it. And it was like, Steve Nash, last play of the game. He's like, all right, who wants the ball? And then it's like, Kyrie, like Katie and Harding all staring at each other, expecting the ball, like that type of, <laughs> personality like I never thought it worked I mean it kind of worked for a little bit um for the Warriors but even then I saw glimpses of plays where it just straight up didn't work having all those personalities all those ball handlers on one team like I just don't think that that is worth it um I think if he comes to the Nets that'd be an interestingly weird dumpster fire who you got Sam I, I can't subscribe to the idea that three of the best offensive players in the game would be unsuccessful. That I think a lot of the reports are predicated on Harden being okay with it. And maybe there is, you know, with the friendship that they have, that it would work out. I can see it obviously like failing, but I think if <clears throat> for Houston, I was listening to Kevin O'Connor talk about how, and I read his piece earlier about how Houston doesn't need to rush this because they have the leverage. And they still yeah. like don't have to be in a rush because Harden has plenty of years left and he's one of the best players in basketball. And I mean, it's, there's just so many different reports. I don't know if I could put a prediction if my, I would guess that, you know, the Raphael Stone, the new GM in Houston, isn't going to be amazed by any offer the Nets make. Like they have some solid assets, but their best players that they could trade away are already in their primes like Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. Like the best young guy they have to offer is Jarrett Allen, who's just like solid, but just kind of a pure like rim running center. The, they have their picks available, but those picks aren't going to be good because unless someone gets injured again, they're going to be in the playoffs for the foreseeable future. So I think Harden probably won't finish out his current contract in Houston but I don't know if I can say for certain that he's going to be traded somewhere. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you think this season he'll probably just stay with the um, Rockets. Yeah. Or they could decide by the trade deadline. Like, first of all, I think the order of operations is trade Westbrook first, then trade Harden because Westbrook seems to want out the most and he is the least valuable of the two. Mm -hmm. So I can see Houston trying Harden and whatever they get for Westbrook, if they end up trading him, or they might just try to bandage up what they can and march forward. And then maybe by the trade deadline, if they realize, okay, we're not going anywhere, now is the time to blow it up. Yeah. I can see that happening very realistically. 
well, whatever happens tonight and then whatever happens with all of that, we're back. We're finally, the next season of my favorite reality show is finally debuting and I am very happy about it as I'm sure you guys are too. Um, To wrap it up, Sam, every week we read one of our favorite tweets of last week. Um, It can be literally anything. Um, So find yours, Jess, find yours. I have mine ready. Okay, so mine, this, it's, it's not a basketball-related one, but mine is, um, this guy tweeted, Biden should start his inaugural speech by saying, well, that was weird. <laughs> I think I saw that, yeah. Um, that would be quite was, I love that. That was definitely a favorite of the week. All, All right. right. So mine is, crazy that some people don't need glasses and can just raw dog vision like that. <laughs> Me, a girl who needs glasses to survive. <laughs> I am so mad at people. That's telling. really good. That's really Out of place, good. like, words like that are just, uh, that was good. Like, because it's like, things like that always make me laugh because it's something, it's exactly, it's totally accurate, but you never think of it in that way. Um, all uh, right, Sam, with, what do you got? Close well, as someone with glasses and terrible vision, that was really good. Okay, so this is uh, <laughs> two tweets in a row that I'm going to read out of order. So okay. the second one reads, the coffee tastes like cheap bean water. And the first tweet is, Boston, I love you, but I will never, ever understand your obsession with Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Lily, I'm looking more so for your reaction as the native. No, that's fan. good. Because I, I mean, I, this is like a whole rant in and of itself. Um, I like, this, this is like way too detailed. Like I should, not, <laughs> I should not spend my time this way. I like Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee better than I like Starbucks iced coffee, but I like drinks from Starbucks more than I like drinks from Dunkin' Donuts. So if I'm just getting like a regular iced coffee, now this changed, every, all of this changed once cold brew became a thing, um, which it wasn't a thing like three years ago. Um, but I, I don't think it, t- I don't, I kind of disagree. Like whenever someone brings a, like, you know, the little like briefcase of coffee. Yeah. Our professors that all do that when they try to make us happy. That always tastes like absolute hot garbage. Like that I think is disgusting all the time. I've never had a hot coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. So maybe, maybe. You don't like it that much? Like hot coffee in general is just not your thing that you've never had it from Dunkin'? No, I, I, I will drink hot coffee, but I don't prefer it. Um, and I've just never, yeah, it could be like, there could be eight feet of snow on the ground. If I, if I'm stopping at a Dunkin' Donuts, I'm getting an iced coffee. Cause I just really don't like the, the hot coffee just does just not really taste good to I me. <laughs> I, no, I feel that. I mean, I'm more of a hot coffee guy, but I definitely have gotten an ice drink when it's called out. Like the yeah. temperature does not have to dictate what kind of drink I get. It's just kind of what I've been. Exactly. Um, yeah, but I totally, maybe I should like do it. Maybe I'll get a bunch of coffees and like try them all next week. Yeah. You should do like a coffee. That's thing some good content. That's some good content. Cause I'm such a snob about it too. So Great tweet of the week, Sam. <laughs> Completely. Um, no, but oh, I one time I got so when I was like in high school, I would always get a caramelized coffee from Dunkin' Donuts with two milks in it. It's now called the Charlie, but I've been drinking it well before Charlie D'Amelio was it. This that's like a thing. People keep asking me, "Did you try the Charlie yet?" And I'm like, "I've been drinking that since I was 13 years old." No yes, really. I've tried it. Yes, I've tried it, but I tried it 10 years ago. Um, 
but I, so I got the same thing at a Starbucks once and it was disgusting. It was so bad. It was, it was so bad, but I always just get like espresso at Starbucks. Cause I'm, I'm like fucking crazy. Um, like you need any more. <laughs> no, I just like drink it straight. No, it's, um, it's people have said now, and I, I totally believe it. Like cold brew has way more caffeine in it than like any, like espresso yeah. is because it's, it's like so insane. concentrated. No, one time I, I drank, like I had, I made cold brew and you're only supposed to let it like soak or whatever for like 24 hours. And I Who did- trusted you to make cold brew? I make coffee all the time. I'm very good at making my own coffee and I let it soak for like 48 hours. Cause I, I kind of like forgot and just didn't have time to like, whatever, finish it. Um, and I was totally freaking out when I was drinking it. I was like, like, like my heart rate was really fast and like my like watch was like freaking out. Coffee though, like, no, it's like people make cold brew and it looks super intense. It is really intense because you're also supposed to water it down, but I think that's gross. So I was like, why would I, they said that in the like recipe I was reading, but I was like, why would I water my coffee down? That's everything that you're supposed to not do. Um, and now we've spent 10 minutes talking about coffee. Um, but this has been another episode of Thrown Down with Justin Lilly featuring Sam Giovanni. Read everything he writes on Hoops Habit, Nick's Wall, and Center Fields. He's fantastic. Thank you for joining Thanks, us, Sam. Sam. I'm Thanks, Lily Caffrey Levine. I'm Jess King. And it's never just sports. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. <laughs>